to do it. Be ye not only hearers of the word, but doers. And so he preached a sermon. The next week, he preached that very same sermon again. And the people were taken back a little bit. Had he forgotten? Was there amnesia? The third week, he did the same one all over again. And finally, they approached him. They said, what are you doing? We heard that one, not only once over, but twice over. And he made that comment. He says, well, I haven't observed that you followed the instructions, the assignments God gave you overly well. So you have to hear it again. And I'm planning to preach it yet again until we learn to practice that sermon, kind of like education in school. We get that down, then we'll go on to something fresh and different and new. I've never dared to do that type of thing. But um, under the theme tonight, Cave Spirituality, Psalm 142. Let me just say, maybe for some of us, our lives up to this point have been relatively smooth, problem-free. Few, if any, major bends in the road. Somebody after church this morning commented to me that his life was not so much in the desert as it was just a desert. God had been good. So good. Praise God for that. But that's not the way it is for all. I suspect for many of us here tonight, there have been already in life, or there may be upcoming, some heart-wrenching experiences, some setbacks, some tragedies that you could testify to. Maybe there's those thorns in the flesh. They can make life difficult and restrict us in certain... I could go on. Events, happening, situations that you wish were not a reality, but they are, or they have been. And somehow, we learn to try to deal with them as best we can. Tonight, I read Psalm 142 under the theme, Cave Spirituality. It's really a prayer of David when he's in a cave, and I'll get to that, but underneath the title, in my Bible at least, it says a masculine of David, a masculine. That means this is a, a teaching kind of a psalm. A psalm in which David wants to give some instruction to people. How to endure caves, caves. Listen to the words of Psalm 142. I cry aloud to the Lord. I lift up my voice to the Lord for mercy. I pour out my complaint before him. Before him, I tell my trouble. When my spirit grows faint within me, it is you who know my way. In the path where I walk, men have hidden a snare for me. Look to my right and see, no one is concerned for me. I have no refuge, no one cares for my life. I cry to you, O Lord. I say, you are my refuge, my portion in the land of the living. Listen to my cry. For I am in desperate need. Rescue me from those who pursue me. For they are too strong for me. Set me free from my prison. 
that I may praise your name. Then the righteous will gather about me because of your goodness to me. Father, maybe not with these exact words, but I suspect we've prayed similar prayers. When we were at a low point in life, we poured out our hearts to you and we said, listen, O oh God, rescue me, help me. Release me from this prison, from this cave. And I suspect for many that has happened. And there's a new song of praise on our lips now and in our heart. But Lord, be our instructor, our teacher tonight as we learn the message anew from Psalm 142. Amen. I think I mentioned this morning that book by David Jeremiah, A Bend in the Road, Experiencing God When Life Caves In. I shared a story this morning about a Steve. There's another one in that book about a Kent. A Kent. 20-year-old young man. Life was going well. He was extremely athletic, loved by his family, hardworking guy, did construction. And then one day, he commented that his back hurt. Fact is, he didn't comment right away. His back hurt quite bad. And he couldn't recall having fallen or having become injured. What might that be? Well, his parents strongly suggested he go in for a test, which he did. And then a second one. And a third one. And then came the doctor's report. Yes, indeed. There was a tumor there. It was a large biopsy done. Yes, it was cancerous. Chemotherapy, of course, followed. and There was much weakness to this strong man. More tests. The tumor was still there, but now had shrunk. And so surgery was done. And the family prayed for their son. And they fasted. And they suffered alongside their boy. And God was merciful, I read. Kent survived. Fact is, he, along with David Jeremiah, they're doing well today. That's not always the case, of course, but I know there are people here who have Kent stories. Kent stories. It's his story, but in some way, this is your story as well. My study Bible says that David wrote Psalm 142 to give us some instruction in godliness. What to do when we find ourselves in a cave, when, when life is simply hard. That's where David was when he wrote this psalm. There are basically two caves in David's experience. And this goes earlier he was not yet king. There's the cave in Engedi. Saul is king. And David is in hiding in that cave, fleeing Saul, who wants to eliminate him. And maybe you know the story. It's found in 1 Samuel chapter 24. But Saul and his men, they're pursuing David, and they go into that camp, or cave rather, in Engedi. The Bible says he had to relieve himself. Which he did, and then he needed some rest, and so 
he fell into a deep sleep there. Well, David and some men were further back in that cave. King Saul didn't know that. And David came upon King Saul, and his men encouraged him to just eliminate him. This is his chance. But David will not do that. Saul is God's anointed. And so he cuts a piece of his garment off, the corner. And he goes to some distance and he wakes Saul up and he shows him what he has. And the opportunity that he had, Saul is overcome. He repents. He's sorry. But he does not stay repentant, does he? That's one cave in Engedi. The other one is Adullam. In fact, it's a little bit earlier. This one you read about in 1 Kings chapter 22, it is. And I read here these words, chapter 22. David departed from Gath, still fleeing from Saul, and escaped to the cave of Adullam. When his brothers and all his father's household heard it, they went down there to him. Everyone who was in distress, everyone who was in debt, everyone who was discontented gathered to him. Oh my. What had happened? What had happened? Well, scholars tell us that King Saul had at that time levied a very, very heavy tax on the people of Israel. These are people who had begged God to give them a king. As you know, that was not God's original intent. He was Israel's king. They didn't need a human king, but, but they were persistent, and, and God relented. They gave him a king, King Saul. And now they're not one, hap, one bit happy. So they flock, we read, to this cave in Adullam to be with David in their anger, in their frustration, with their discontent. Is if David doesn't have enough issues to deal with, enough problems on his own. He now has the company of all of these complainers as well. My suspicion is David went into that cave in the wilderness, not only for safety's sake, but frankly to get some solitude. And he doesn't get it. He's surrounded by some of the most distressed citizens in Israel, 400 of them. You read in chapter 22. You read into chapter 23, three, that number grows to 600. You can imagine David's disappointment, his discouragement. So we read in verse 6, Psalm 142, I am in desperate need. David wasn't lying. Another version has David saying, I've been brought very low. In verse 3, we read, he speaks of his spirit. He says he had grown faint. We can understand. We can understand. What does David do? What can we learn from him in regard to cave spirituality, dealing with a situation that you wish to God you didn't have to deal with, but you must? I believe Psalm 142 is a recipe, an excellent one, for coping with caves. We will do well tonight to learn just a bit of godliness from this ancient man. First of all, I don't know if you have that outline before you, but 
uh, in the opening verse, David kind of verbalizes to God his problem. Do you know, did you note that? His pain? We read there, he cries aloud to the Lord. Verse 1, verse 2, he pours out his complaint before him. He tells God of all his troubles. David's prayers are not just sugar-coated prayers and glossy. David is one who in this prayer is very honest before God. He bears his soul before God. And that is wise to do. Yes, our prayers should be prayers of praise and thanksgiving. Yes, yes, yes. But there's also a time perhaps in prayer when we unburden before the Lord. Unburden ourselves before the Lord. The Bible encourages us to do that. 1 Peter 5, verse 7. Cast all of your cares or anxieties upon the Lord. Cast all of your burdens upon the Lord. Why? Because He cares for you. That casting there is not just an invitation. It's an exhortation. It becomes a command. This is what you must do when your burden is to pour out that burden to the Lord. And it's our it is for our well-being that we do that. We need to learn to do that, to, 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 may I say, unload at times, perhaps with a good friend or person, to release what is inside of us, the heaviness of our soul. But especially to do that with God, with God. A rather famous professor of psychology has said that writing out the thing that deeply, deeply stresses or distresses us, writing out our troubles or sharing them, relieves us somewhat of the emotional part of pain. Oh, the pain is still there, but, but now we can cope with it a little bit better because we've released it. We've shared it with another or with God. Well, I want to say tonight that what modern psychiatry or psychology has been saying now is something that the Bible has been teaching long ago. That's precisely what David was doing. The need to release or to express his pain, his grief. Verbalizing that. He does that in this prayer, Psalm 142. And I think tonight that we must learn, I must learn, to be honest in our praying with God. Yes, being honest in our sharing with others, people you can trust, but especially with God, whom we can fully trust. God begins His healing in us, I think, when we become fully honest and bear our soul before him. And now think of it again. Think of it again with me. I being who I am and you being who you are tonight, we cannot talk to or we cannot get a hearing, frankly, no one of us, I guess, with the mayor of the city, Grand Rapids. We can't get a hearing with the governor of our state. We can't get a hearing with the president of our country. But we can talk to God the CEO of the world. And he listens to us. He cares enough to listen to us. 
to our concerns, to our burdens. The big ones, the little ones. He's the Almighty God. And He's our Heavenly Father. We're His children. What an amazing God. What a privilege it is. What a friend we have in Jesus. All of our griefs to bear. David does that in the cave. He releases his problem to God and then he recognizes God's presence. Did you note that verse 3 there? He says, when my spirit grows faint within me, it is you who know my way. Or you know my life. Or you know where I am. David recognizes in that cave that God recognizes where he is and what he is dealing with. God knows all about his situation. And God notes his discouragement. Brings to mind Psalm 139, where the psalm writer says, Where can I flee from you, God? If I ascend here, if I descend, you're always there. You know me wherever I am. You know what's going on in my life. We have some big words. We call that God's omniscience or His omnipresence. He knows all. And He's everywhere present at the same time. But those big words tell us that there's frankly never a cave. But that God will find us there. That God will be present with us there. In that most God-forsaken place or moment in life, God is there. I've heard prisoners of war who experienced Psalm 142. They said, yes, 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 yes. I was so alone, seemingly so forsaken, but God was with me. God was with me. The fact that God is always with us may be scary for some, but it is an amazing comfort. Lord, you know my way. God knows your way tonight. Maybe not every person knows your way. Maybe few know your way. God knows. David releases his problem. He recognizes God's presence. And then thirdly, in this psalm, he remembers God's promise. Verse 5 there. He says, I cry, O Lord, to you. I say, you are my refuge, my portion, or my partner in the land of the living. In this psalm, David reminds God of who he is, who God is, and what God has promised He's promised to be a refuge and a fortress, a very present help in times of trouble, Psalm 46. And I want to say tonight, I think God kind of likes to be reminded of who he is from his children. And he likes to have them remind him of promises that he has made. Maybe even quoting those promises to him in prayer. God, you said this in, in this chapter, in this verse, and then trust him. Lean on those promises. In the land of the living, in the land of the living, 
Oh, my friends, the Bible is so much more than just pie in the sky and the sweet by and by, as they say. No, the Bible has promises of God to help us in the nitty-gritty of life, to get through a particular day. It's not like all of a sudden you need an aspirin just for some relief, or maybe an Advil. Or maybe it's a nitroglycerin. You feel that, that stab of pain and, and you keep those. And then you get almost instant relief. You get the point. Relief right now. To get you through the day. Howard Vanderwell, well-known pastor. He's gone to be with the Lord now. But maybe you know, pastor in Hudsonville here. And then he was at the seminary for quite some time. But he struggled with cancer for a long time. And out of that whole experience, he wrote this wonderful book, Proven Promises, Proven Promises. Oh, what an encouragement that was to him to know the promises of God, to lean on the promises of God, how often that booklet was given to those who found themselves in a cave. Lord, you are my refuge, my portion. In the land of the living, you are my refuge and my portion. Please underline those words in your Bible, if you would. And believe them, believe them with all your heart. When you find yourself in a cave and it appears that everything is lost. And then David does something else in this psalm. He requests God's help. David is in desperate need, of course. The enemies are ever so strong, the enemy. Life is very dangerous. Frankly, his cause looked quite bleak. What does he say? Verse 6, rescue me. Rescue me from those who pursue me. That is his request. For those who want to eliminate me, they are so strong. I am so weak. The next verse, set me free from the prison in which I find myself. David admits in this psalm his weakness and he asked God to act on his behalf, to intervene, to take over. I think David believes what Paul believed, that well-known verse, Philippians 4, verse 13, I can't do, but I can do all things in the one who gives me strength, or the one who strengthens me. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. David cannot free himself, but he knows that God is able to do that. That God can change the situation. He's asking him to do that. To somehow bring victory out of defeat. I think, I think, where the request has been made, God has released more people from prison than we'll ever know. Rescued more people from the pit. From prisons. My suspicion is God has done far more miracles than we give Him credit for. He's answered prayers again and again and again. David kind of prayers than we will ever know. David is asking God for a miracle to show his power in this situation. 
and why? For what purpose? Did you pick up on that, verse 7? So that, so that I may praise your name so that others, the righteous, may be encouraged by your goodness. David releases his problem to the Lord. He recognizes God's presence. He remembers God's promise. He requests God's power. And now he renews God's praise. We've talked about that this morning. Many scholars believe that a twin psalm to Psalm 142 is Psalm 57, written in the wilderness, written out of the same cave experience. Psalm 57, David says, I sing and make music. I praise you, O God, among the peoples or the nations. I will sing to you among all people, for great is your love, reaching to the heavens, your faithfulness to the skies. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be over all the earth. David was singing in the cave. And in that cave, God gave him a new song to sing. I mentioned Kent earlier. Mother's name was Glinda. She says, following that cave experience, God gave her a new song. She didn't know if she would have ever sung the song the way she sang it following all of this. The song was, How Great Thou Art. I get into that song, especially to the refrain, then sings my soul, my Savior God to thee, how great. He, she says, I just break down completely. It's my song. It's my song. I learned to sing in the cave following God's release from that prison. I pray that in our cave experiences, God will sustain us, that He'll strengthen us. That He'll give us a song to sing. Yes, to lift our voice, not only, not only, and maybe some complaint, okay, some lament, that's to be encouraged, but never stopping to lift our voice in praise, to sing to God a new song. May God help us to honor Him in the cave of life. Join me in prayer. Lord, I want to pray tonight for those who presently are in a cave. I don't know, maybe a few others do. But Lord, maybe it's in our family, maybe it's in this church fellowship. I kindly ask that you'll be near them, O oh God. And I pray that Psalm 142 be a psalm of helpful instruction to them and to all of us. And I pray this in Christ's name. Amen.